I, uh, I believe the greatest story ever told is the story Jesus told about these two boys and their father. Uh, in fact, if all of the rest of the Bible were lost and we had only this one story, I believe we would have enough to preach on for a lifetime. What it says about God, what it says about us, what it says about relationships, it is simply fathomless. Jesus was being questioned by some folks uh, who didn't, uh, didn't quite understand what he was doing. And the background of the story that Jesus told is recorded in the 15th chapter of Luke. Now, there's stories recorded there also, but you need to know what the setting was and who was there. The first and second verses of the 15th chapter read, Now all the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now in rather general terms, you have two groups of people here. You have the tax collectors and the sinners, and over here you have the ultra-religious group, the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, to the Pharisees, anybody that wasn't a Pharisee was a sinner. I mean, they were very exclusive. They had a very tight circle around their fellowship. They even thought the Sadducees were sinners. They thought the Essenes were sinners. I mean, if you didn't agree with them 100% on every issue, you were considered a sinner. So they not only considered Gentiles, like most of us, as sinners, they, con they concluded that some of their own very devout Jewish followers of the law, the Torah, were also sinners. But in addition to that, generally they thought anybody was a sinner who had a problem that showed. Or if you were having fun. They were just against fun and any problem that showed. If your problem, if you could disguise your problem with some religious veneer or religious language, or religious activity, then you were okay. But if you had a problem that showed, you were in trouble. Like if you were blind, you were a sinner. If you were crippled, you were a sinner. If you were a tax collector, that meant you were cooperating with Rome, you were a sinner. If you were divorced, you were a sinner. If you were crippled, you were a sinner. If you were a prostitute, you were a sinner. Any problem, if you, if you couldn't manage uh, alcohol, if you abused alcohol or, or, or food, if you were, if you were overweight or whatever, anything that, or if you didn't observe their rules on a certain day about the activities on that day, you were a sinner. So they divided everybody up into us and sinners. And so Jesus said, to answer your attitude and your question, let me tell you some stories. And so he told three stories. They're recorded in the 15th chapter of Luke. The first, one, the first two really introduced the third. The first is about a lost sheep. You've heard about that. We've talked about that. You know something about that. The second was a lost coin. The sheep was out of relationship to the shepherd and the rest of the sheep. The coin was out of relationship to the owner of the coin and to the other coins. And then the third story, and this great incomparable story, the greatest I think ever told, the parable or the story of the prodigal sons, because there are two boys in the story. There are two boys in the story, a younger one and an older one. And generally, most preaching through the years has been about the younger prodigal, 
because his sins were more flagrant and more fleshly. And generally, people who are preachers are a little older, and so they would rather preach on those sins. Now, some people think they have convictions, they've just gotten older. That's part of their, their problem, their, their reasoning. But so a lot of times a preacher wouldn't get to the second brother because when you get to the older brother, you get to us. And we have a strange, uncomfortable feeling that he's no longer talking about some wild teenager off in the far country. He may be talking about some respectable religionist who has some bad attitudes inside of him. You see, we have a tendency to judge sin on the basis of flesh and fleshly appetites more than attitude and prejudices and jealousies. The sins of the flesh are serious and they can destroy a life. Make no mistake about it. But the sins of attitude and spirit are equally destructive and they too can destroy a life and a relationship. Listen to the story. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. Remember that. He divided his wealth between them. He gave half of it to the younger brother, half of it to the older brother. Each got their portion equally. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men hired Underline that, it's a very important word in this story. It's a key to this story. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your hired men. There's that word again. And he got up and came to the father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. My son had come home. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. And they began to have a party. They began to be merry. Now, his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, not happy, angry, and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began 
entreating him, inviting him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you never gave me anything. You never gave me a fattened calf that I might be merry and have a party with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he, the father, said to him, My son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry, we had to have a party and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and he has been found. And it stops. And yet it just starts. Obviously what Jesus is talking about here is about God. The father in this story is obviously God. And the two boys are each of us. Because we're a mixture of all these things, aren't we? It's not just an age problem, it's part of all of life. Sometimes the problem is attitudinal, sometimes it's our action. Sometimes the problem is our flesh, another time it's our spirit. So we're kind of a mixture of both of these boys. And at different times and under different circumstances in our life, one or the other may prevail or predominate. So Jesus is talking about us, all of us. Wherever we are, whatever category we place ourselves in or we allow other people to place us in, he's talking about us. He's talking about God and about us. Let me say just a word about these two boys. The younger boy, obviously, was typical of a young person. He was impatient. I want to get on with this business of living. I don't want anything to pass me by. I don't want to miss anything. That's normal. That's natural. That's wonderful. That's as it should be. He was impetuous. A Jewish boy would never have asked his father to divide his inheritance. It was an insult. It was, in effect, saying, Father, as far as you're concerned, I'm dead. You're dead. I want my inheritance. It was a terrible insult. But the father did it in spite of the fact that no Jewish boy would have thought of it. When Jesus told this, the crowd, I'm sure, gasped when he said, this boy asked his father for his inheritance. That was never done. The father was bound legally to do it if the boy were to ask for it, and he did do it. He gave to both boys their inheritance. So this kid was impetuous. He was impatient. He wanted to get to Las Vegas and find out what was going on. And so he did. He was in a hurry. The older brother. Notice a few attributes about the older brother. And he makes me feel uncomfortable and should. Should make us all examine ourselves. If Jesus seems to be describing ultra-fundamentalism, he seems to be describing ultra-fundamentalism. Boy was angry. He wasn't happy. He was mad. Angry at his brother. In fact, he was so angry, he wouldn't even call his brother brother. 
Did you notice that when he was talking to the father? He didn't say, when my brother came home. He said, when your son came home, you received him. But later in the same conversation, do you remember the father would not let that big brother forget that he was still his brother? The father didn't refer to the younger brother as his son. He said, but when your brother, he's your brother, and until you can call brother, brother, you'll never get to the party. He was angry, prejudiced, jealous, jealous. He also believed rumors. That's a dangerous thing to do. The Bible, Jesus didn't say in the story that the younger brother spent all of his money on prostitutes. He just said he threw it away. Now, he may have spent it on prostitutes, but that's not what it said. But that's what Big Brother said he was doing. Psychologists would call that projection. What Big Brother was doing was projecting on the little brother what he, Big Brother, would have done had he been in the far country with a lot of money. But you see, he believed rumors. It's a sad thing to do. Some people believe rumors rather than think. Think. Religious bigotry can blind us. Any kind of bigotry can blind us. Get past rumors. Think. See. Hear. Be open. This older brother also seemed to believe what a lot of people do nowadays in the religious world and always have, and that is that the end justifies the means because he misrepresented the truth. He misrepresented the truth. His father had divided the estate equally between the two boys, and yet here outside the house in the field on that day when the party was going on, the boy said to his father, you never gave me anything. The father had given him half of everything, but he closed his mind and his heart. So you see, both of these boys had problems, just like we do. One thing that joins us all together is the fact that we all have problems. We don't all have the same problems, but we all have them. Sometimes they're internal, sometimes they're external, sometimes they're a mixture of both. So Jesus is talking about us, and he is talking to us. Now another word about the younger brother. It's very important. I'm asking you to underline that word hired. The younger brother in this story thought that the key issue was the money. He thought that the key issue was the money. He'd have, he'd have been at home in the 20th century, wouldn't he? He thought the key issue was the money. You see, what he was embarrassed about was not that he'd just been to the far country and that he maybe had been uh, practicing loose living, but that he had spent all of the money. That's why he tried to renegotiate the deal. That's why he said, let me come home and I will work as a hired servant. You see, what he wanted to do is what all of us would like to do, and that is to come back to the Father with our pride still intact. He said, I will, I will go home. Everybody at home has got enough to eat. The hired folks are doing better than I'm doing. I'm out here feeding pigs. Can you imagine how disgraceful it was for an Orthodox Jewish boy to be feeding pigs? 
So here he is saying, I'm out here feeding pigs. I'm starving to death. Even the hired folks at home are doing better than I am. I'm going to go home. I want to say to my father, I have sinned. To him that misspent all the money. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no more, no more worthy to be called your son. Let me work my way back in. Make me as one of your hired servants. And over a period of time, I will replenish the money that I have spent. He wanted to come home on the basis of his works. He wanted to come home on the basis of what he could do to work his way back into the grace and love and acceptance of his father. So he came home to make that speech, and the father saw him. You know the reason the father saw him when he was a long way off is because the father was looking for him when he was a long way off, and it makes no difference how far off you may feel this morning. The father's looking for you because he loves you. And the father recognized him before anybody else recognized him. Now, if you're a parent, you know that. You can put your kid in a band suit and stick them out there on the football field, and there may be 100 people in the band. You can spot yours in a split second, can't you? They're all supposed to look alike, but they're there. there's something about the way they move. There's just something. You know it. When Mike and Steve were in Baylor and Martha and I were over there on the one side of the field, and they were whirled there on the other side of the football field, we could find them over there. Didn't that make you all nervous to know that we could see you all over there? I need to talk to you about some of the things I saw, by the way. No, sir, when it's yours, you can spot them a mile away. And that boy, a long way off, his father saw him, and the father started to run to meet him. He got down there, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. You know why he kissed him? That was to keep the boy from dropping to his knees and kissing his father's ring or foot. You're not coming home as subservient. You're coming home as a son. Put his arms around him with all the smell of the pig pen on him. And he kissed him. He had compassion on him. And he said, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring, put it on him. Bring shoes. Told the slaves to go get him some shoes. The slaves didn't have shoes. Only sons wore shoes. That's why he wanted the boy to have shoes on. He wasn't going to come home as a hired servant. He was not to come home as a slave. He was to come home as a son. Put shoes on him. And the boy said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. He never got to say, make me as one of your hired servants. Why? Because he suddenly realized in that flashing moment of revelation that he was forgiven without the money that he was forgiven without restitution. He was forgiven. Broke as he could be, and as bad as he may have been, or as bad as he was. And so when this boy realized that he was forgiven and that the father loved him, not because of money, but because of who he was, he loved him. It wasn't a matter of rules and regulations, not a matter of propriety and property. It was relationship that father wanted with that boy and wanted it all along with both of them. And now this one was willing to give it back, and he did. Father, he never said, make me a hired servant. He realized that he couldn't work for what he wanted. It had to come as a gift. That's the only way it comes, as a gift. You can never earn it. We try, but we can't do it. And here's the story why we come in love we come in grace. Martin Luther saw this. It was a very key revelation to him. 
He said, at this point, you see the difference between Reformation theology and the theology of works. The difference between verses 18 and 19 and verses 21 and 22 is the difference. He said the same thing. But one, he said, when he was planning to come home to work. The other, he said, after he knew that he had been forgiven, Martin Luther said that is the heart of Reformation theology. It is the difference between repentance prompted by fear and repentance prompted by love. The first is a cry of despair prompted by discouragement and depression. The second is a cry of grace and peace prompted by unconditional love. It's the power of love that changes life. Now I want you to notice something, that the Father put no condition between forgiveness and restoration. No conditions. No condition between forgiveness and restoration. No condition between salvation and celebration. There was no probationary period required. The father didn't say, well, all right, we'll just see how things go around the house. If you do this and do this and do this, okay. My friends, the house of grace is not a penitentiary. And what we have and what we are to do, what we have is pardon, not penance. Not penance, but a party. Jesus loved parties. Performed his first miracle at one. He compares the kingdom of God to a party. Just look at these two chapters, Luke 14 and 15. In Luke 14, Two stories he tells, both of them about a party, both of them about a feast. In the 15th chapter of Luke, three stories he tells, all three of them, end in a party, end in a party. The kingdom of God is a feast, not a fast. It's a celebration. It's not a time of penitence. We're forgiven. We come as we are. Both of the boys were invited. It's very important to take note that the father went out to invite the older brother to come in and to plead with him, entreat him, the Scripture says, to come in. Those people out there in the dry lands of legalism and ultra-fundamentalism with all of its paralyzing legalism and conditions come into the party, into the joy of the Lord and the freedom and grace of God. He comes out to make a special appeal to the older brother. Carl Olson, I've referred to him a number of times, his book, Come to the Party, read it if you, if you have it or can find it, it's a marvelous book. He said, talking about us, talking about Christians, he said there are generally four types of Christians. One, a group, they don't even know there's a party going on. They think it's just all work and sweat and tears. There's a second group, they know there's a party going on, but they don't believe they're invited. They haven't worked long enough. They're not hired on yet. They've got to do it themselves. The third group, they believe there's a party, they know it's going on. They know they're invited, but they don't believe they deserve to come and stay. They can't enjoy themselves because they feel like, well, everybody here is better than I am. 
Then there's the fourth group. Unfortunately, it's the minority group. But my friends, we need to penetrate the world with this fourth group attitude. There is a party, and you are invited, and you deserve to come and stay and have a good time because you've been invited by the king of kings himself, by the host himself. And so the father ran to meet him. What a picture that is. Elderly man watching for that boy for years, and he sees him, and he starts to run. Aristotle said, great men never run in public. Aristotle never met Jesus, and he never knew that God would run to meet a child, any child, coming home. Listen. Almighty God, the great I am immovable rock, omnipotent, powerful, awesome Lord, victorious warrior, commanding king of kings, mighty conqueror, and the only time. The only time I ever saw him run Was when he ran to me Took me in his arms Held my head to his chest Said, my son's come home again Lifted my face Wiped the tears from my eyes With forgiveness in his voice He said, son, do you know I still love caught me by surprise when God ran. The year I left home, I knew I'd broken his heart. I wondered then if things could ever be the same. But then one night, I remembered his love for me And down a dusty road ahead I could see It's the only time The only time I ever saw him run Was when he ran to me Took me held my head to its chest said my son's come home again lifted my face wiped the tears from my eyes with forgiveness in his voice he said son do you know I still love you he caught me by surprise he brought me to my knees when God ran I saw him run to me and then I ran to him 
public. Jesus always showed God's love in public. It was not a private, behind the doors, cloistered, sequestered thing. It was public. When he walked up and touched the lepers, it was in public. When he rescued a fallen woman, it was in public. Reached down and touched the eyes of a blind man, it was in public. When he died on the cross, it was in public. Everything in this story took place in public. The boy leaving home, public. The party, public. The rejection by the older brother, public. The love of the father, public. God publicly has declared for us and loves us. He has publicly shown his love for us. Can we not show our love for him publicly, openly, for the world? He ran to meet us. Can we not walk to him in decision of faith and trust and commitment? Father said, bring the best robe and put it on my boy. You understand, of course, that the boy didn't have any robes left. They were all tattered rags in the far country. Do you hear what the father was saying? He was saying, go get my best robe. The best robe in the house belonged to the father. And the father said, go get my best robe and put it on him. 
God took his very best robe and he put Jesus on us. And we come to the party in the robes of Christ. So, come to the party. Come to the Father. Come this morning to be a part of the family of God. Don't stay out in the deserts of postponement, procrastination. Come. The reason we sing just as we are is because that's the only way you can come. It's the only way that boy could come. Had to come just as he was. I'm going to be right here to greet you as you do the same, trusting Christ as your Savior, just as you are. Coming into the life of this church, from another church or congregation or from none, but coming just as you are. Or coming in a recommitment, rededication of your life, coming just as you are. Come. The Father, not Buckner, not the Corral, not even Trinity Baptist Church, the Father invites you to come. Let's stand and sing. You come. <laughs>